musical makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down, the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. This is the Conquer Local podcast, a show about billion-dollar sales leaders, marketers leading local economic growth, and entrepreneurs that have created their dream organizations. They want to share their secrets, giving you the distilled version of their extraordinary feats. Our hope is, with the tangible takeaways from each episode, you can rewire, rework, and reimagine your business. I'm George Leith. On this episode, truly one of the most passionate speakers on sales we've ever had. We welcome Benjamin Bressington. Benjamin gets paid to hack humans as a social engineer. It's pretty cool. He is the CEO of Behavior Sales, a leading personality intelligence company. He's a speaker and author of multiple books, the latest, People Ignorant, Unlocking Success, Confidence, and Influence. He has a law and criminology degree from Australia and has spent 10 years helping Fortune 1000 companies add gamification principles to their sales and communication process. He now spends his time helping people improve their sales conversions, specifically helping them close deals faster and discover the hidden opportunities in our daily communication. If you've ever wanted to have more influence, persuasion, and close deals faster, you'll love listening to what we're talking about next. Get ready, Conquerors, for Benjamin Bressington, coming up next on this week's episode of the Conquer Local Podcast. Benjamin Bressington, all the way from Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Ben, is it okay if I call you Ben? It certainly is. Because I Benjamin, that's a, that's a great handle. And it's all over the books and it's all over, everywhere I see it. But I wanted to get your permission because some people are touchy about that. Like if you wanted to call me G, I would let you because we've known each other so long. Exactly. Right. And that's all about building trust, right? And uh, respecting the other individual. So it's uh, well done. Ben, we went a hell of an intro there and we talked about all of your accomplishments. Congratulations on that. I'm super excited for you to teach me about all of the... Uh, all of the bad things that I've been doing with the closing tactics that I learned over the last 35 years of, of being in the sales business. And when I was reading through the notes that the team had prepared, I was like, wow, this is great. The only close I don't see in your list is the Colombo close. Oh, well, there's uh, lots of closes that uh, aren't in the list, but I was amazed how many different closing techniques have different names, depending on where you learned them from or who was teaching them or what train they tried to create their own variation. But uh yeah, the Colombo close is the one where you pretty much just play stupid, right? And just uh, fumble into it, right? I call that the order taking close. Well, see, there's so many of them. And we're going to get into the list in, in a few minutes, but let's start at the start. And, um, you know, you've been doing this for a while. You're working with sales organizations all over the world. You've authored uh, material that I find all over the internet when we were researching you. What What is... What happens to a deal when you start to use these tricks? I think that's the first thing I'd like to learn from you. What has what your research brought you to? What conclusions has your research brought you to? Yeah, so the research has shown us that uh, there's a lot of resistance now in a buyer. Uh, and the sales techniques you use in your conversation, so what we're talking about is linguistically, create resistance unnecessarily. So you might actually be, because of the words you're using, creating objections 
that you don't actually need to handle. And most salespeople aren't aware of that, that literally every objection they deal with is created in their conversation. So um, there's some interesting insights from that. We're also seeing that most salespeople don't know how to connect with people um, at a personality-based level. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I called the book People Ignorant, because we've kind of become ignorant to how to connect with humans. Uh, we all think we're connecting to a segment, an audience, but we forget that it, like, we have to connect with an individual. There's different personality styles, and your personality may actually repulse certain individuals. So one of the, the big things we're seeing is that, that the data doesn't support sales conversations anymore. Ben, I got to jump in, though, because I, I want to challenge that. I, it's interesting that that's what your research is showing, yet I've never seen DISC profiles and Deloitte's even got their own thing and you got Myers-Briggs. I've never seen more of that out there that you have to identify the personality of the people on your team and of your customers. But you're saying that you're finding the opposite, that, that actually people are just so deep in the data that they're, that they're not having a human lens on it. That's what I think I heard you say. That's yeah, 100% correct. Is that like they're so deep into the weeds of things that they're realizing that uh, they don't know how to connect with the individual. Um, and a lot of people are literally using these closing techniques, which create pressure and anxiety with an individual, and they don't work for each personality style. So that's one of the big things we're finding. So a lot of people do these disc assessments and personality assessments but then don't know how to have a conversation with them. They go, well, this report was great, but how do I use that data? How do I implement that data into a conversation? How do I actually do something beneficial to connect with an individual? Does that make sense? No, it, it 100% makes sense. It just kind of floors me a little bit that there's never been more of this uh, knowledge around personality profiling, but yet people are refusing to use it. Now, wh why? Like, what, what is the, the why this is happening, in your opinion? Well, the biggest hurdle in the past has that been uh, like you can't send, it's unrealistic to send your lead a uh, disc 50 question, 100 questionnaire personality assessment and go, hey, before I have a sales conversation with you, would you mind completing these 100 questions? And they kind of go tell you to go kick rocks, right? <laughs> so the thing is, is the advancement in technology is we can literally now analyze your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter account, your Facebook account, the emails you've sent and received, for examples, and predict personality based off that data. So we don't have to ask you anything. I can literally take your Twitter account and understand your personality type and then instantly know how to connect with you in a faster way. And this is where some of the big advancements in these conversations are happening. How, how do you do that? Like, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so that's through behavioral intelligence, what they call, or linguistic analysis. So after profiling millions of conversations around the world, we can literally analyze the words of different personality types. And then we just uh, match them up. We can actually show you one of the big things we learn typically in sales in what predicts churn is if a person experiences disgust. And a lot of salespeople don't realize that they trigger the emotion of disgust. And it's a uh, interesting emotion because that emotion actually causes people to lean in and run in the opposite direction. So it's kind of like you've pissed somebody off, but you pissed them off with enough gusto that they're like, all right, I'm leaving. I'm canceling this person. I'm leaving. We see this in employees who have become frustrated and now looking for more work. We see this in sales deals where they're like, all right, well, we're just going to go find another vendor. And it might have been just one email that you sent just bumped them over and you lost an opportunity. You know, it, it's interesting. It's something that I hadn't really considered until I was prepping for this episode and I was excited that you would do some teaching. But 
I'm now starting to replay a few conversations I've had in the last six, eight months. And I think I might have saw that look of disgust across the uh, table or Zoom call or whatever it was that we were doing. What, why do you think this is happening? Like uh, you, you'd mentioned people leaving employers as well in, in your analysis. And um, I, I also think that maybe what I'm hearing is this, this is also the reason why there's no loyalty on a product anymore, a service or a business. And, and I, you see that data point as well. We have no loyalty. We're like, I'm looking for the best deal. The fact that I've dealt with you for 30 years might actually be a, a detriment to a relationship. I want to go find something new. Is it, is it that, is it that I can just throw it away and go get something? Is it the availability that's leading to this? There's a whole mix of dynamics. Like, so for example, the personality styles that want consistency and stability, uh, love that we've been together for 30 years. You're the rock in which I can anchor to type thing. But then you've got the other personality types, which is more like the, the Eagle, which we call it, uh, or the D if you're talking about the disc profile where those people are always direct ROI focus, right? And they want the latest, the newest, the greatest. So there's certain personality styles that like, the time of a relationship will triumph all the time where there's the other side of the coin where it's like, Hey, they want the latest, the greatest, the newest. And if you're not presenting that you are innovating, you are doing these new things, you will lose the deals. Um, so you have to find that fine balance. Um, and as they say, there's always two sides to a coin. And a lot of people we see in sales conversations will vomit features and benefits <laughs> when features and benefits don't help with the sale at all. They actually, one of the big things we teach people is actually to put a sticker above their phone or their camera or whatever it is if you're on Zoom with the word wait. And it literally stands for why am I talking? <laughs> because we find now the data is actually showing us that you can actually speak 5% of the time. So you can pitch and close 5% of the time and you'll close more deals. Where previously people would be pitching and selling 80% of the time trying to use logic to drive their deal when they forgot it's more emotional nowadays. And the data is all showing there's more emotion in these conversations that's required to close a deal. Well, let's, I, I'm excited to dig into these uh, closes because you even have some naming conventions in your list that I, I had to think about it for a moment. Then I'm like, Oh, I call it this. So there's, there's these different terminologies around it, but let's, let's get into them. And, and, you know, one of the things that we've had as a mission for the last five seasons on the Conquer Local podcast is to help upskill sales professionals. And I talk a lot about, it's not 1975 anymore, like taking out a sell sheet feature benefits. So thanks. Check that off the box. Um, we've already talked about old school feature benefit crap. Now let's get into a few of these others. The first one, I, I don't know, you know, are you saying don't use the assumptive close? Because I really like the assumptive close. So what am I doing wrong there? So the assumptive close can be really, really good. But we find that a lot of people take it to the point of commission breath and they're too pushy with the assumptive close. And then there's a big difference between say, hey, would you like uh, the the vanilla powder or the chocolate powder? Uh, with your first order, right? There's a big difference in saying that and then just assuming and like creating pressure and anxiety through that. So the assumptive close can be used incorrectly if you're creating too much pressure on the personality you're talking to and you're not aware of it. So we find that a lot of people go too much over the top. So for example, when you get a lead um, that you're calling, an online lead, a cold lead, right? One of the best things you can actually ask people is this question. It's like, hey, George, have you found what you're looking for or are you still looking for a, a marketing solution or whatever it is that you inquired about? Because now I'm actually in that 
I haven't assumed the deal. And I'm actually telling, having you tell me why we're here. Does that make sense? Yes. I love it. And it, you're, you keep using, you probably have said it three times. Now I'm not doing an official word count, but you said anxiety. But I think it's an important thing to think about because, so, and that's where the personality profile component is so important. All, all personality is not created even. And the way that you address that customer, if I'm hearing correctly, could create that anxiety and stop the deal. Yep. So one of the biggest things we see is that most sales reps aren't fully aware of their communication style. And as a result, they sell to them. And they're like, well, I closed this person really well, but you're closing one in four, right? So the reality you need to be thinking about is how do I need to adapt to connect to the person I'm speaking with? Because maybe I have to slow down. Maybe I have to use certainty. Or if I do use numbers for a certain personality type, we call the owl right? You need to actually be able to validate that. They need time to think. And what they want is they want silence. So it's okay when you're talking to that like knowledge-based person, the one who's got all the PhDs and wants to read the blueprints and the literature, like they come with questions, right? They want detailed answers. They want data. And they also want silence in a conversation. And a lot of salespeople really struggle with that and they start assuming the deal is going to close when they're not giving them thinking time. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and they completely stop discovery. Like I, I've been noticing that oh. lately and listening to calls. It's like you are headlong into the end of the month. You're trying to get like, and by the way, we're recording this at the end of the month. So maybe that's why it's top of mind. I've been listening to calls going, wow, that's a lot of pressure on that deal. You might actually be, well, I think you have it here. We've got... Um, what is it? I'll lose the commission close. I bet you there's a bunch of that happening if you're listening to this show at the end of the month. That's a tactic that reps use. Why don't you like that one? Well, it, once again, it creates this urgency and this pressure, which is uh, logically driven. And it's driven from the perspective of the sales rep, right? And everything we're talking about is you've actually got to be more aware of how they're hearing you and mm -hmm. how they're the emotion they're feeling when they're talking to you. That's kind of like saying you, you can feel somebody's desperation. I need this deal. I need, like, I need to hit my quota because I'm going to get a case of beer from the boss, right? So then the conversations just have this tension. And then, and what people don't realize is, well, it's like kids chasing our behavior stems from like our fundamental desires, right? So the thing is, is like you're now chasing this person to close this deal. And if you chase something, what happens? It turns around, runs away. So the thing is, is that type of clothes kind of puts you in chase mode and they can smell your desperation, which usually means that as soon as that pendulum swings, the sales rep controls two things, price and time usually, right? And what do they do? They collapse. They're like, well, George, what if, and they start going into some of those other closing techniques, like I'll give you my shirt, all this type of stuff. What if I got another 10%? What if, so it's all good you're getting these deals at the end of the month, but you've given away your margins. And like, you're actually training your customers not to respect your price, your offer, your value, none of this. Does that make sense? No, it totally does. And what about, what about this one of you start incentivizing the deal and you do a lot of it and the customer then completely goes dark and waits until the next month to see what you're going to put in there next month to get the deal across the line. Like a, a sophisticated buyer that's used to negotiating will use that to their advantage. I'm just going to slow it down. And guess what? I get a better price. hundred percent. And they know like, Hey, the, the more I draw this out, they know there's these Q4 specials buyers. I think one of the assumptions that a lie or a big myth that's out there is buyers are liars, right? 
buyers aren't liars. The thing is, is it's just that your sales technique hasn't worked on them, right? So you you have to defend that insecurity, right? So the thing is, is a lot of people in their sales conversations don't ask emotionally driven questions. One of them, which is a great one, is what we call a consequence question, right? So the thing is, instead of me putting pressure on you, right, I need you to actually identify the problem and communicate it with your words. So I need you to say it. Everything I say, you think is crap or not truth, right? The thing is, is if you say it, it's your truth. It's your belief, right? And so a lot of salespeople are too much defending, validating. If you're defending your product, you're completely on the far side of this, which is a huge problem. And when you're listening to calls, George, I'm sure you hear this all the time. You're like, oh, my gosh. They opened that door and they kind of just ran right into that thing. And you can just hear these pivot points in conversations. So I bet you, by the way, this is fantastic. I'm loving it. I bet you we're also going to hear at certain points and times in a deal flow, the legendary takeaway close. What is the problem with that close? Well, the thing is, is a lot of people will do the takeaway, but it's not legitimate, right? So the thing is, is, is this the second time you've delivered the takeaway to this person? And are you really going to hold up to the takeaway? And the thing is, is we hear takeaway closes every single day. We'll jump on a website and there's a 15-minute countdown timer. But yet when I jump on that website tomorrow, that same 15-minute countdown timer is still there, right? So the thing is, is it's okay if you use it and it's legit. Like it's a Q4 offer. This thing is expiring. And next time you do the offer, the price isn't going to be anywhere near this. It's going to because the price goes up, all this type of stuff, right? But a lot of people use it as this like security blanket and it cripples their integrity, their authenticity. We can actually track in the call recordings when we analyze them. Did you have influence over this person? Did you have clout, right? Based on the word use. And the thing is, is what do you think happens when a salesperson goes to try somebody or close somebody, they don't have influence over? I'm not sure. They literally collapse on price and it goes neediness chasing. Like we can actually, um, one of the things we're actually showing is uh, we've created this deception score. So we can listen to your sales recordings and go, how much are you too pitchy? Are you too buzzwordy? Which actually creates resistance and actually decreases your influence. And when a salesperson doesn't have influence, when it comes to decision time, I can't get a decision. So there's a couple others that you have in your list that, that uh, again, not even listen to the calls. I've used this. Sweeten the pot, close, take over to close. How about my shirt off my back, close. Um, but what I wanted to understand was your deliverables, my terms close. Let's talk about that for a moment. I, I'm interested to hear your feelings on that close. So that's really flipping it around on people. And it's a, it's a closing technique that most people don't realize, but it requires you to actually get clear on what the goal and objective a person has, right? So it's like, okay, if I help you achieve a thousand new leads a month or whatever it is, right? You're going to meet my deal terms. So then they're setting the deal terms, which is usually greater rather than less. So it's kind of like building in a guarantee or building in a performance guarantee. And it's some of the things that people use in certain industries um, but it's a closing technique that can be used well if communicated well. Uh, so like, I'm not saying not to use any of these closes. I'm saying to be aware of the impact these closes have on the person you're talking to, your presentation style, because if you use these wrong, it can literally result in you being ghosted or losing the second and third sale. 
And that's some of the biggest problems we're seeing in sales conversations today is they're getting that first time sale, but because of the process they've had, they've lost second and third. And so that's a huge problem. I love that you brought that up. And maybe it's just because in the, I'm right in the middle of working on some retention programs inside our own organization. And some of the analysis that we're doing is we got a retention problem because of what was said in the very first calls with this prospect. And there were things said at that very moment. And to your point, I think what you're saying is that just sits there and marinates with the prospect who's now become a customer. And as you're not proving the points that were said in that very first call, you're actually making the expansion of that client or retention of that client virtually impossible. And this is one of the big trackers we see with Discuss. Like we actually can see Discuss increase over time. And this is what one of the indicators we use for churn. So it's like, hey, that customer you got signed on, with And the example I give all the time is like, hey, uh, the sales rep did something and pissed off the onboarding client person, right? So the thing is, is there's a personality conflict between the product manager, for example, or the account manager and the sales rep. So when the, the client gets handled over to the client uh, onboarding, they might get bumped to the bottom of the list. So they may they may move to that three to five day business priority schedule, right? Which they have, they know they can use, right? But then it creates frustration in the experience for the client. And then the client's getting more frustrated because promises aren't being fulfilled or the service expectation that they got sold on isn't there or these bottlenecks get created because, and a lot of this happens all now linguistically, like text message. Not a lot of people are doing a phone call or video call or stuff like this. Like it's a lot of things can be uh, misinterpreted. And this is where the data helps you under like analyzing the data helps you understand like what's really going on. Like, is this one of the, there's a simple thing. I call it the happiness sandwich, right? Did the call start happy? Did the call end happy? Did the email start happy? End happy, right? Because the thing is, is as humans, we only remember the emotion of how something starts and ends. So you can put the crappy stuff in the middle. But if we have a crappy conversation, I've got to make sure you leave happy. Yeah, I call right? that Otherwise, a shit. I call that a shit sandwich. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you you happy, can deliver happy. a shit sandwich. Yeah, exactly. See, we're bonding, Ben, and I knew we would. Now, in your latest book, your latest writing, People Ignorant, Unlocking Success, Confidence, and Influence, if you were to be working with a sales organization and you've identified that they're doing some of these things, how do you now prescribe a way for them to reduce the number of times this is happening? Because it comes to customer experience. It's not a good experience for the customer. It touches numerous teams, not just one sales team that needs to figure this out. In larger organizations, you've got a sales rep, an account manager, an onboarder, a product. Like There's a lot of stakeholders in there as well. And I found that you just get into the blame game there. So I think you've got some secrets inside the work that we, uh, we went through when we were prepping for the call that could help our listeners. 100%. So this is why we created the behavioral intelligence platform. Because one of the things we literally do is like we can take your Slack channel, right, and analyze the communication between every team member in your Slack channel. And we can show you personality conflicts, personality issues. We can do the same thing with your employees. Um, one of the simple things we do with uh, companies is we literally help them segment their leads based on personality type. And then you can create a follow-up experience for the personality. Is that person more detailed or is this person more social? Totally different, right? So now you're starting to segment your leads, your customers. And this is a big thing. 
customer onboarding based on personality segmentation. And the reality is, is you know what? If I've got two customer onboarding reps, right? Which client should go to those people? Not mm-hmm. just because who's got three or 10 in line, but where is the personality match? Does that make sense? Oh, I love that. And you're you're striking, if, if people are actually listening back to their calls and doing film review of their interactions with customers, you're going to find these person, you know, if you're doing your job, you're going to find them. And then Ben, how... Do we recommend to organizations that they that they do that? Because that just makes a lot of sense to me. But oh, we don't have enough resources, and um, that's going to be hard. And but it, really, the life and and death of that customer experience is relying on those personalities lining up. So, and that's one of the biggest things we've seen is that companies aren't aware of that they put a person into a position, and they haven't optimized that person for success and identifying who they are and how they connect with people. And this is one of the benefits of the software we provide, the training and the solutions for that, uh, because you can't do this. Like one of the biggest problems we see is a lot of people aren't recording their phone calls, right? They aren't, uh, or they go, yeah, I record them. I'm like, oh, Zoom automatically records them. I'm like, great. Well, how often do you watch them? Oh, never. (laughs) Then, Then why are you recording them? Like, so one of the things that we do is we give them that feedback loop within 15 minutes of a call finishing, literally having a full emotional debrief. We can show you intention, personality, and that allows you to go, you know what? With my next conversation with George, I've got to be more aware of this. I lost influence with George when I spoke about this. Like These are all the things you can now use as feedback to actually improve the relationship. Um, does that make sense? Yes, it does. So I want to give you a real world, real world example from very recently. I'm in a boardroom. We've got five different people on the buyer side and we're talking five different personalities, like not like just different people. And we were spending quite a bit of time with them. So we were four hours one week. We were on some Zoom calls. Then we were another five hours just recently. And I'm already starting to see what you were talking about here earlier, the anxiety from the people that are like, oh, we're, we're going to make a huge change here. They see it as a massive change. Some people in the room are actually, you can tell that they're pretty excited because they've probably been saying the things that we're saying underneath the hood. And they're like, whoa, these guys get us. So you could, you could tell they don't have a lot of anxiety. And then you've got the buyer, the person who's going to sign the contract saying, we're doing this, so get on the bus. And that's creating anxiety as well in the room, even though it's not the, the sales team. So how would you suggest then that an organization address those different personalities and to kind of separate, like, do you separate them out? Do you say, hey, I'd like to get some time with you over here and I'm going to deal with this differently. Like, it's a very complex situation. How would you reverse engineer that for success? Yeah, so it's certainly one, be aware of your personality style and then the personalities in the room. Like, who are they? You also need to be aware of who has influence over who. I did this with a very large uh, company and they literally have a six month sales cycle, right? Huge sales cycle. 30 plus conversations. Some of the conversations they have could be having three engineers in the room and like they've got like 10 people or more in a boardroom. And when I analyze their conversations, I'm like, are you aware that when you get the engineers in the room with like the senior level management who aren't engineerial focused, you lose them. You, they start because it's over their head. They feel insecure, so now they have to actually start to do other things, and then they they look and misread the interpretation of the other engineers. And so the thing is, is by having the wrong people talking about the wrong things at the right time causes a big problem. 
So the thing is, is you really want to be aware of what's being said. And a lot of the things that you don't see people asking enough of is the right questions. Like, for example, I spoke previously about the consequence questions, really, really powerful questions. And I'm going to, I'll give it, is it okay if I share that with people now? Yeah, 100%. So, no, I'm on the edge of my seat. George not in his head. So he's like, all right, yes, hell yes. Like, so the thing is, is like each person has an objective. Each person like, and the problem with meetings like this is you need to be aware of like, Who's got the short-term objective? Who's got the long-term objective? Who's being forced into this and doesn't really want it? Because there's always one of those people, if not more, right? Yeah. There's like, oh, I wanted this other vendor, blah, 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 whatever reason. But the thing is, is the consequence question is really simple and it's very, very powerful. So you'd say, hey, George, what have you done about changing your situation? Right? Because now I actually find out from you what's really, really, really important, right? And... I can ask, well, what would you change if you could, right? Because I can, I want to find out what you like, what you don't like. And that type of question needs to be asked to everybody. But there's a second layer to this that a lot of people don't understand. And it's asking them and going, well, what happens if you don't achieve this goal? And the thing is, is everyone around that table you need to be able to ask that question and understand to them. Because you know what? One of them is like, well, I just won't hit my Q4 uh, bonus and, and that impacts me because I won't get the $10,000 bonus that I was looking for that I need So for my wife's surgery or whatever it is. So like <laughs> they're pushing this thing through, right? So yeah. You know, it everything that I hear, and, and I'm loving it by the way, and we're probably even a little over time, which is even better because that means we've got some great stuff. But everything I hear goes back to something that I learned a long time ago from a, probably I didn't adopt it right away, but I remember being told sales is about being a student and being curious and really caring about people and understanding those people. And you, you said something earlier that, you know, they're getting anxiety because of their personality and the way you're approaching it. And you're using these tricks on them and they can see it. And just asking that simple question of, so what, what does a win look like for you? What goal are you trying to accomplish? What problem are we trying to solve? What's that problem worth to you? No, oh, it's cost me $5,000 a month. Now you've got an economic factor that you can go in there to help them with. What will hap What does good look like? And I love that you're talking about, it's not just the bonus. It's what the bonus will be used to do. Like money's an abacus. It measures, you know, luck, it measures effort, it measures a lot of different things, but what does it really mean to that individual? And you're getting to something that I love as well, and that is ask really good questions. Like, what did you say earlier, Ben? I only have to talk 5% of the time? You only want to be pitching. Your pitch should be less than 10%, 10 to 5% of an entire conversation. And the problem is, is a lot of sales reps are literally pitching 80, 90%. And it's I want to point something out really quickly. There's three types of salespeople. There's salespeople, right? There is uh, order takers, and there's people that pitch. And the people who pitch usually don't know how to do the close because they're like, they're hyping everything up. And what, here's a big one. Some sales trainer literally said, get excited, right? And then get into your calls, right? They're like, And when you're running a phone sales team, you get everyone jazzed up in the morning, right? right? And you just turn them loose on the phones. We actually see now that if you're too excited, it makes people step back. And this is a body language thing. So imagine that if you're talking with people and their first response is to literally lean back or sit back or like step back from you, that's not a good experience. 
And this is like, there's a whole lot more science now that goes into conversations that wasn't available 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And it even gets worse when the buyer dynamic is changing so quickly. What worked six months ago doesn't necessarily work today. No, try sending an email today and seeing what you get compared to sending an email three years ago. And, you know, we're even yeah. seeing that. It, it's it's really interesting. Plus technological changes and everything else. Ben, you gave us a lot to think about today, and we really appreciate your time. Let's point some people at your organization. We'll make sure we put in the show notes as well. But we've been talking a lot about your company and the tools that you offer. So how would we go about reaching out to you to, to, to uh, access those? Really simple. Uh, uh, you can reach it to help at behaviorsales.com. If you mention the good-looking George in the, your email request, you'll get a free copy. Uh, this way he's got a face for radio, right? Um, the, uh, if you mention George's name, right, or you, where you listen to this podcast, uh, we'll actually get you a free copy in the digital course for people ignorant, which will help you there and some bonus resources there. So, uh, and uh, I think I'm working with Colleen to actually provide some sales training for your community very soon. Oh, we're very excited to bring you to the Academy and community. And by the way, you've done a great job on researching me because you obviously spoke to my mother because she said a long time ago, you've got a face for radio, son. Ben, thanks for joining us all the way from Sarasota. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of your information inside the community and the academy and uh, just, a, just a great batch of uh, information today. So we really appreciate that. Hey, my pleasure. Have fun. Well, first off, words matter. And taking into account actions that could disgust your prospect or customer? Wow. I don't know much, but I know this. When people are in a state of being disgusted, the chances are pretty great you're not going to sell them something. Much less expand a relationship and grow your business. Knowing the personality and communication style, but more important, knowing how your personality style can interact with a customer group is so important. Some personality styles want consistency and some personality styles want the newest, latest and greatest. Some want an intense amount of detail. So we have to make sure that we are being a chameleon and understanding how we're communicating, but also understand who we're communicating with and how they might be perceiving our style. We also learned from Ben on how to address different personality types. Ensure that you're building a connection with each individual you're speaking with. You can't ask your lead to fill out a hundred questions to understand their profile. Like stop the entire discovery process and say, Hey, uh, here's a survey, fill this thing out. I'll get back to you next week after I understand who you are. Like, it's just not going to work out for you. Ben has come up with some programmatic ways to figure that out by analyzing language and data. That's why he is one of the foremost experts under this topic. How important is this as Ben has cautioned, you could lose potential customers and they might misread the interpretation. Now you're saying something, you're delivering a value proposition, you may be being a little pitchy, and the customer is just going, oh, this is the most salesy thing I've ever been involved in. I don't, you know, because they, they're a little jaded against being approached that way. So you might want to be thinking about that, that just there isn't one approach for everybody. It's around approaching them in a way that they can really, truly consume the information and understand it and find the value. I hadn't really thought about, you know, I could spend 30 minutes with a customer and then walk out of the room and they go, wow, I'm so disgusted after listening to that gentleman speak. But he's right. 
that fight or flight that we all go through when we're being presented with new ideas or new concepts or transformation is so important that we understand that. Be aware of what's being said. Have a high level of understanding of your audience. He did say this thing as well that I want to make sure that we drive home. Pitches should be less than 10% of talking and pitching. Right, we're in there and you're just hammering it home. Um, he talked about the WAIT methodology. And you know that we're killing acronyms. So why am I talking? I love that. Like just put a little sticky note right on the edge of your laptop and say, why am I talking? It's either, we've talked about this on the show before, when you were delivering something, you were either building trust or you might actually be installing even more fear with the prospect. So that's another way to think about this. There's anxiety with the prospect or the customer because the sales rep isn't aware of the client's personality and that's impacting the message that they are hearing, the communication style. And if you're only closing a quarter of your deals that you're talking to, you've got a list of prospects, you've got a pipeline and your close rate is at a quarter or whatever the, the metric might be, consider brushing up on how you're adapting to the prospect's personality how you're adapting your messaging based upon what might be important to them. And that will help you on adjusting that close number and your close percentage in a positive way. So some great takeaways from a great episode from uh, Ben. And I highly encourage you to take Ben up on his offer. It's not every day that we get some free stuff here. That special offer was going to the email address, help at behaviorsales.com. Mention myself or the Conquer Local podcast, and you'll get a free edition of Ben's digital course. If you like this episode discussing old school closing strategies, let's continue the conversation and check out episode 532, Best Practices in Closing the Sale with James Muir, or episode 416, Empathy in Sales from the legendary Jerry Acuff. Please subscribe and leave us a review. And thanks for joining us this week on the Conquer Local Podcast. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local Podcast presented by Vendasta. Guest discovery by Zoe Schneider. Marketing by Rory Lawford and Nicole Lozon. Produced by Suleiman Adam. Executive producers Brendan King, George Leith and Colleen McGrath. Recorded at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.